What does the Bible actually say about tithing? Spoiler alert, it's probably not what you think. If you've grown up around church at all, you've learned a lot about tithing, what it should look like, how we should do it. But does that line up with what the Bible actually teaches? And for most of us, the answer is no, because what the Bible teaches about tithing is very different than what most of us have been taught. And here's the danger. When tithing is taught wrong, when we understand it wrong, it's one of the easiest ways for people to be manipulated, for people to be controlled, and it leads to a lot of mistreatment of people and a lot of spiritual abuse. But when we get tithing right, when we really understand what the Bible teaches about it, it leads us to a lot of freedom, and it takes away a lot of the shame and guilt that maybe you've grown up with. So in today's episode of the Church Disrupted Podcast, that's what we're talking about. We're going to do a deep dive into what the Bible actually says about tithing, what tithing should look like in the New Testament modern church, and we're going to break down a lot of the misnomers and misconceptions that we have about tithing in the church today. So you don't want to miss either of the next two episodes as we break down the truth about tithing. So if you're ready for the truth, let's jump in together. Hey, one more note before we get started. We did have some technical difficulties on this episode that we did not realize were going on until after we were done recording. They mainly affected the audio. So we've done our best to doctor that audio up, but we didn't want to have to re-record this whole conversation because it was a powerful conversation. So I want to apologize in advance. The audio is not up to its normal quality, but if you'll bear with it, this is still a fantastic episode that you don't want to miss. So with that out of the way, let's jump in and get started. All right, guys, welcome back to the Church Disrupted podcast with your host, Jeff Cochran. I'm here today with Vicki May and Buck Fleming. And I guess it's the first time y'all have done a podcast together, right? Um, well, wow, I'm so excited to have you guys here together. Um, today, we're going to talk about something that it's going to be a hot button issue. I'm warning you, it's going to be a hot button issue. Uh, but I really specifically ask you to. Normally, I just say, hey, who wants to be on this podcast? Who's available? You two, we've been waiting weeks because specifically I wanted to get you on this podcast together. Um, and, and for a specific reason, the hot button issue we're talking about today, we're talking about tithing. We're talking about tithing. We're asking the question, is tithing biblical? And no matter what you believe about tithing, most likely something we say today is going to surprise you. Now here, let me ask you this, okay? I'm going to ask you to do this. Don't click off when we say something that bothers you because you will be bothered. You will get uncomfortable, okay? Um, what I'm asking you to do is at least watch until the end and say, can I learn something from this? And then the number one thing that we're going to have to do on this podcast, if you're watching, if you're listening, you're not ready to do this, it's not going to go well for you, okay? I'm going to ask you to set aside tradition, to set aside what you were taught, and to ask the question, even after this podcast, what does the Bible actually say in context, okay? I'm going to give you some stuff, but go check me out, okay? Any pastor should be able to say this. I'll say it. Go double check me on stuff, okay? Send me a message if you think that I'm wrong, right? Don't argue on social media because that's just going to push the content out that you disagree with, but 
if you think that I'm wrong on something, send it to me. I would love to talk to you about this. Um, but when multiple theology degrees, I have studied this. And here's what I'll tell you. I don't say multiple theology degrees to go, I've got it. So don't ask me questions. I'm saying it this way. I spent much of today, even preparing for this grieving because of how led astray I was through multiple theology degrees in seminary. Okay. Because I had tithing wrong. I had tithing super wrong. I've taught that to some of you wrong as your pastor, but today we're asking that question is tithing biblical but we're also asking the question, when does tithing become dangerous? Okay. Um, and in this series, the church that business built, um, there's a very specific time and some very specific scenarios where tithing becomes incredibly dangerous for people in the church. And it fosters abuse, even when people don't mean for it to. So we can all grow. We can all get better on this one, but we're just going to have an open conversation. Um, I know we don't all hundred percent even come at this from the same place but I think this is going to be really life-giving. So when you guys think about tithing, okay, we're just going to go ahead and rip this Band-Aid off. You talk about tithing, you go into a church you're visiting, they talk about tithing, you feel a certain way, okay? When someone starts telling you about tithing, you feel a certain way. Nobody gets the warm, nice feels when someone talks about tithing. We have an opinion. Everybody has a strong opinion about this, okay? For you guys, when you hear tithing, um, one, but before you tell me your belief system, right? Like how you feel about it. When you hear tithing, what comes to your mind and how does it make you feel? Um, when I hear tithing, yeah, uh, I feel joy. I mean, and it's so, but like, I literally like, uh, my attitude is I get to give, you know? And so to me, it feels joy because it's a place that, you know, in my pursuit for success and pursuit for financial success. As a business owner, for me, it's been something that it allows me to recognize. That it's a, it allows me to disconnect the money yeah. in my heart. And so when I hear about it, I'm like, heck yeah. But I know that's not everybody's response. Yeah, that's probably not your average response, but it's an awesome response. And I love that, right? Is it any different when you're in a church that you're not used to? and a pastor starts talking about tithing. Do you think anything different, or do you get the same level of excitement? Um, well, I'll, I'm, I've got a tendency to think about me more than I do. You know, That's fairly human. Yeah, but I'm saying when I, I think about how it affects me. So, uh, you know, um, I love the church, <clears throat> like the church, the universal church, the... Big C church. No, yeah, the big C church, not necessarily... Church. I'm going to stop there, but anyway, some of the... Uh, but I, I love the church, and I realize it does take money to do ministry. For sure. And I want to support ministry. Um, I want to support people that have dedicated their lives uh, to following the gospel and to preaching the gospel and to serving others. Um, so it, it's a conversation. And I mean, this conversation is a conversation that needs to happen. Yeah. And so I think that... Um, I think that one of the part of the problem with the American church is there's a lot of problems, but uh, part of the problem with money is that at first off, people are too attached to money. Yeah. And we're not just attached to money like as people who tithe, who need to tithe to get over that. Yeah. We're too attached to money as church leaders. Yeah. And, you know, so it goes both ways. It can get in our heart both ways. It, uh, yeah, it absolutely does. So I think we are a very um, monetary based society. And so I think we are too attached to money and then we want to 
And so I think it's an issue that needs a lot of depth and a lot of conversation or a lot of deep conversation because of um because I believe that when we're filled with this when we're filled with the spirit, uh when we're filled with joy, that it uh, it's not that God is owed my ten percent. I'm kinda getting into my thoughts about it now, but, but don't go too far. Yeah. But anyway, so so I understand that the churches have to talk about it. Um, and so I go what was that understanding. And so a lot of times when I listen to a pastor speak uh from um from the pulpit, um I, I call them monologues when I listen to the pastor monologue from the mm-hmm. pulpit. Um I try to listen more for what the spirit is saying to me more than, you know, what's he saying to me through the there's the person that's speaking. Yeah. Instead of Oh my gosh, what is the heart here? You know, what yeah. is his? So I guess I don't, I'm not prone to offense yeah. in that way would be my short answer. Yeah. No, you, you don't get offended super easy at all, um, which is funny because there's some people who think like everybody on the podcast is just super offended. And you're one of the least offendable people that I know, yet you're also very quick to go, well, that doesn't line up with scripture. I've got a, you know issue with that, right? You know, but you but you don't get offended very easily. So, um, and I hope that you guys are hearing this even in the start of this podcast. First person, you're you're not against tithing. You're for tithing. You get excited about tithing. That's important for us to know. Okay, yeah. Vicky, when you hear tithing, because again, we all come from different backgrounds and experiences. When you hear tithing today, what does it make you think? What does it make you feel? Um, I I'm glad that you started because, uh, of course, <clears throat> I feel joy. And I have felt joy, but, um, and I think that is key here. Um, but I can tell you that there has been times that I have not. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel, uh, coming from certain churches that I have attended in the past, um, that it, when you hear it every Sunday, uh, almost like it's like just thrown down your throat every, every service, every Sunday. And it's almost like here it comes again. And again, we buy, you know, and I'm like, okay. So, and it almost makes you feel guilty or angry or because it's like, again, you question the part of the. I don't even know if it almost does. And just from conversations we've had, to be completely candid, because we always want to be honest with you guys, it does make you angry. It does make you, yeah, feel those things. It's not that I don't want to give. I don't, I want to be a giving person. I want, it's in my heart to help people. And you're one of the most generous people. Like your heart is generous. It's not even in the amount you give. You and your husband are very generous people, so you're not angry that you're having to give. No, that's not it. That's not it at all. It's, it's the approach in, in how they make it feel like you you are supposed to, and, and the way it's done. And what is that? Yeah. They being church leaders? Yes, yeah. church leaders. That is, yeah, as you know, the church entity, um, not the church, the big C church. That's all I'm talking about here. So, um, it's 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 a hard place, and then I question, you know. Where's that money going? Are they really using it the way they should be? Well, okay, if I give with my heart, then I don't have to question that. It's all after I let it go, it's up to them. You know, that's between yeah. them and God. And, you know, so you go through this, there's a lot. It gets a little mucky. It's like a wrestling match in your yeah. own head and your own spirit. So makes you feel some pretty tough things, some conflicting things like joy and sometimes anger and frustration and fear and excitement, right? Um, and, and I'll, I'll say this cause there's, there's people who are listening and they're going, okay, Vicky, that's the way I feel about it. There's also people who are listening who go, okay, these guys aren't just going to trash tithing, but likes tithing. You know, so there's some people getting on board with us right now. 
Um, but, but I'll say this, and this is going to probably make some people angry, and that's okay. I think it is valid. So we've been conditioned, and I think one, one of the biggest issues with tithing is that we've been conditioned how to think about it. And it's very hard to read the Bible about a topic we've been conditioned on and read the Bible fresh. Because no matter what we see, we're seeing it through this lens of my whole life I've been taught this one thing. And my whole life I've been taught that, hey, the first 10%, the first fruits go to God before you do anything else, before you even cash that paycheck, you're already setting aside your 10% for God. And in my ministry career, I've heard from mentors that I love and respect, hey, 10% is where you start. So 10% almost feels on the verge. Tithing itself is almost on the verge of being disobedient. Like, oh yeah, tithing is just something that that I do. Um, you know, So for a long time, because I was conditioned, I felt the same thing you were feeling. And here's the conditioning I heard come out. Okay, and I'm just going to throw this out there because there's people feeling the same way on both sides of this, pro and against. When we ask the question, where is this money going to go? Because the reason you're asking that question is because things like the miracle offering documentary that we did, stuff like that, we know via documentation that a lot of this money's not going to the right places. Most churches, I think, are handling their money really well. They don't have hardly any money, so it's easy to handle it well. But we also know there are always big churches, medium-sized churches, even small churches that misappropriate funds. So because you've experienced that, you've seen that in places, things that you felt like were misappropriation, you ask the question internally, are they, wh- where is this money really going? I don't want to give if this is just going to, if this isn't going where I think it's going, mm-hmm. right? right. Um, and what you said, I think is so true of many Christians. Well, I shouldn't feel that way. I shouldn't feel that way because if I'm trusting God, then it's on God. And when I, when I give it, then it's on God and it's on them and it doesn't really matter. And it's because we've been told that. And part of the, so the conditioning part of how I get it is one of the conditioned too. I was a pastor who got talking points from other pastors. That's the talking point when someone says, I'm just not sure about where the money's going. I don't feel comfortable giving all of my tithes and offerings to this church. Um, and I, I really believe this. I just want to give people permission. If you've got that check in your spirit, at least first ask, is that a Holy Spirit check or is that a flesh check before you just give up on it? Because sometimes the Holy Spirit is literally saying, Hey, Jeff, is this really where you need to give? So it might be wrong here. Yeah. And, it's, and there's valid reasons for you to question it. And maybe it's not wrong for everybody. Maybe it's not they're giving something morally wrong or they're lying about where they're giving. And we know that stuff happens. But maybe it's just the Holy Spirit going, no, 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 I've got something else for you. So at least let's ask, could this be the Holy Spirit? Right? But I also think this. I think God has given us wisdom. And if we see things and he's given us a check in our spirit and we go, well, it's just on them, Lord. I honestly think, and I think in heaven, we're going to say a lot of things. Well, Lord, that was just on them. I was just being obedient. And he's going, no, I, I gave you wisdom. I convicted you because when you see this, you're supposed to be wise. You're supposed to be a good steward of the money that I've given you as well. Um, but anyway, so I just want to get, I, I want to, I wanted to give you that hopefully as a gift, but also to other people listening, it's okay to ask that question. And it is okay to love a church, be a part of a church, and say, I'm not going to give to certain things, or I'm not going to give my whole tithe to this church. We're going to get into that later theologically, but that is okay. Because God, we what do we say? God's about your heart. God is about generous giving, right? Which means if you were still giving, and the way you can give and feel comfortable about it is not to give it all to the church all the time, that's okay, because it's about our heart more than it is where we give. 
So let me just tell you guys, and y'all poke holes in this and ask me questions, but here's what I think and feel about tithing. Okay. Um, I'm going to start with how I felt about tithing most of my life. Awesome. It's such a good thing. And simultaneously fear. I don't want to mess it up because I'll be robbing from God and letting people down. Right. We've all heard Malachi 3.10. How, you know, are you robbing God? I don't want to rob God. So that's one thing. Like I've got to tithe because if I miss this, if I miscalculate it, I'm robbing God. And I had this idea, even as a pastor, of God kind of doing the math and going, he robbed from me again, that thief. So I have to give out of fear and compulsion because if I don't give at least 10%, I'm literally stealing from the king of heaven. So that that even though I wanted to give to God and I believed in tithing, there was fear. And then here was the other piece. I served on church staffs, staffs. This is not about one church. I served on church staffs and most of them, all but one, required us to tithe. So um, on one, there's a little contract you have to sign, a literal contract that says, I'm going to do 10%. If I don't do 10%, you're going to fire me. Here's the discipline process. If I get a bonus, I have to make sure I calculate it out right. If I miss it by literally a, a tenth of a percent or two tenths of a percent, then I can be fired. And as a boss also, hey, somebody makes a math mistake on a bonus twice in a year and they could be fired. So I carried that burden and fear, right? But I remember even at a small church that didn't do that, getting called in the pastor's office and saying, hey, I just want to ask you how things are going financially. I mean, they're going good. They're they're pretty tight. They've always been tight. You know, I don't make a lot of money, but we're okay. God's blessing and he's, you know, he's, he's providing. We'll be all right, you know? And I still remember this pastor looking at me and saying, and this is a guy that I love and I respect, but he said, well, your, your givings went down. We've noticed recently. And my heart sank. I'm sitting in his office, knee to knee, eye to eye. And he's like, I, you know, when we hired you, you, you got to give. We expect you to tithe. And a pastor not fully tithing, even though no one could see if I was fully tithing or not. But the conversation went like this. A pastor not fully tithing is setting a bad example. And we know what you make. And we did the math. And you're, you're giving about 6%. And some weeks you're not giving at all. Right? If you can't give, you can't work here. So I remember sitting there and saying, hey, you know, in this youth ministry that I'm leading, we don't have a budget, right? And I said, I've got the receipts. I've given like 10 grand this year. I was like 30 something grand. I'd given 10 grand that year to the youth ministry. Like I was paying for kids stuff. I was paying for them to go to camp. I was paying for game supplies and all that for the youth ministry, doing side hustles and everything else to be able to make it happen, like building websites on the side and everything else. And he was, oh, I didn't know that. And I thought he was going to apologize. And instead he said, you know, if you need to do that, you need to fundraise for it. But your tithe goes to the church. And I said, but this is the church. This is the youth ministry. This is what you hired me to do. And he said, no, 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 your tithe goes to the church, right? So again, I totally respect this guy. Incredible pastor. is one of the few times I really had that disagreement. But it was one of those things of, because of that, because of contracts to say you're going to lose your job if you don't tithe, I was scared to death to not tithe and people know that I was tithing and had this picture of God in heaven wanting to know if I'd have robbed him this week or not. So for me, it was, I put my tithe on automatic years ago and I've had it for probably over a decade on automatic given at least 12%. So I always had margin and I never robbed God. And then my wife and I were given more and more every year and we were trying to get to 20 because some other pastors around us had gotten to 20 and it was like, 
you know, 10% is just where you start, so you need to get to 20. So I've, I've always had that idea. Now on the other side of seeing some of the things I've seen, especially doing the investigative work we're doing now, I've realized it's not just the churches I've been a part of, it's a lot of churches, right? Now seeing what I've seen every time our pastor at our new church, every time he gets up and talks about giving, I feel dread. Mm-hmm. And I get sick to the pit of my stomach because I don't know what he's going to say next. And I know that the moment I hear manipulation about giving, I have to walk away. It's a conviction that I had the moment I hear manipulation to get someone to give, I have to walk away. And the fear, the dread is, am I going to lose another community? Like, I don't even know a lot of people here yet. And every time my pastor gets up to speak, he says something and I have a full relief and my wife has a relief and we get to exhale because he really doesn't care about our money. Like he really cares about our hearts. You know, and I get emotional with this. I'll kick it to you guys here in a minute because I'm talking too much. But I remember having lunch with him a couple months ago. And literally telling him, we're giving to your church. I know you see that. And I also know that you see we don't give 10%. We make well. We really feel in this season like God has us giving to a lot of people. And we're trying to hold money back so that when we see needs, we can feel needs. And I hope that's okay. And I remember saying, I want to step into serving again, but I understand if you won't let me serve because I don't tithe fully. Because that's the kind of churches I've been in. You can't serve if you don't tithe, Vicki, you know this. And that's, again, not even just one church. That's a lot of churches. And he looked at me and he said, you know, this is a church plant that's just now going autonomous and desperately needs every penny. And he said, Jeff, I don't have access to look at people's tides. I don't, I don't know what you're giving. Other people do that. I don't, I, I don't have that. But he said, I'm very convicted in this season, even when we need the most money. Who am I to tell people they have to give 10% to my church if God is saying, hey, your neighbor needs a roof, go put a roof on their house. I don't want you to have to say, God, I can't be obedient because I gave 13 grand to the church this year. Because I gave extra in that special offering, right? And But that emotion you guys just saw, it happens on the inside every time a pastor gets up and talks about giving because I've seen it wielded as a weapon. And now I'm getting to watch refreshingly as someone says, hey, if you want to join us on the generosity journey, that's great. If God's calling you to give somewhere else, give. He doesn't talk about a percentage, but he simply says, but wherever you're at, will you give? Will you look for opportunities to be generous? And so... I say that because I know there's a lot of people listening who also feel that dread when they hear tithing. And usually the people I've met that feel the most dread are some of the most generous, but they've seen it weaponized or they've had it weaponized against them and they're just scared of the heart behind it. So when you guys think about other people, you've had conversations with other people, you know, you got people who believe in Jesus, people who don't. When, when other people hear about tithing, what do you think the general Christian or the general non-Christian, what do you think people think of when we start talking about tithing in the church? What do they think? What do they feel? Uh, man, most people, if we get into that conversation, they just think the church is after their money. I mean, that's it. They're just after the money. And then, I mean, and so much of it goes back and we've talked about the pastor's shoes before. We have the leaders and stinkers. Paid haircut. The Corvettes, fancy cars. We've talked about all that stuff. And so most people, they see all that. And so they think churches are just after their money. 
you know, which is so sad because 80% of people in pastoral ministry make less than the average person in their community. Yeah. It's just a certain amount of CEO pastors who are misappropriating funds who make everybody look bad because most churches aren't just after your money. They don't have any anyway. Yeah. But churches that look like businesses, the bottom line becomes a big deal because like any other business or nonprofit, you want to talk about what your revenue was in the last year, how many millions of dollars you did, you know? So uh, I want to tell a story that relates to something you said a minute ago. But the um, so when I was a youth minister years ago, um, I think my wife and I were, we haven't been married long and I think I was making 1600 bucks a month, like not as a youth master, like in my real job. And then I was a part-time pastor making, uh, <laughs> making a hundred bucks a week. A whopping like $1,800 a month. Yeah. All, all your jobs together. Yeah. All the jobs together. And so I went to the pastor of the church and I said, Hey, there, there's not a budget here. Like there's not a budget for you. We've got expenses. And I said, can I just tithe to the youth ministry? Can I just take my salary and put it back into the youth ministry and use my tithes to that? Because I know it's not going to pass the financial committee. And he's like, Buck, we didn't have this conversation. Do what you feel is best. I love that. And like he's like, and to this day, I'd still consider him a mentor. But he's like, man, you give, you're giving your time, you're giving your resources. Mm-hmm. Just give and do what you feel is best. We, we brought you on to lead this ministry for a reason. And um, anyway, so I was just, I was relating to your story and that and just a different experience I had. In that. Yeah. Two pastors who both love God, man, both incredible men, both like, and again, even the pastor I was talking about, he's one of the better pastors I have. So I'm not, I'm not hammering him at all. That's how he was taught. Right. But I would, two very different experiences from two men that both loved God and part of it is because of our understanding of tithing, not just our understanding of tithing, but the pressure that comes to pastors with tithing. So, Buck, for you, you think the average person, though, you start talking about tithing and what they yeah. think is the church just wants my money. The church just wants money. Yeah, that's it. Uh, and if that's, and um, I mean, just about everybody I talk to thinks <laughs> that, you know, if you talk about the church just wants money, they're just trying to, you know, to get money from people and you know, because, you know, they, when most people look at the organization at the church's business as, as a uh, for-profit business, you know, that gets, uh, you know, benefits because it's a religious organization and, and that they're just trying to get money. And yeah, so it... And a lot of that's because we've started thinking of church, even people who don't go to them, we start thinking of church as that mega church, that, that yeah. celebrity pastor that you know, you know? Mm-hmm. All right, so Vicky, what about you? Yeah, so um, on the other end of the spectrum here, because it seems like where we're going here is, um, I just had a conversation last night with a friend of mine, um, and we had, had, had in the past tended church together, um, and was talking about, we were talking about Donna, and we were talking about um, how, and because, you know, she's a seasoned <clears throat> Christian, you know, um, race Pentecostal, but then became into a more not non-denominational uh, experience and enjoyed it. But it has always been, you know, uh, of the mindset of that it is important to get. Um, and so, and, and then when you start attending a church that says you need to get more, especially during this special season to get even more than that. And it's like, um, she had a real hard year. She said, I remember this. I had a really hard year. I had a lot of medical problems. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a lot of strife in my family. I had things going on with my friends. I had just a really hard year. And I thought to myself, it's because I'm not being given enough. 
And instant guilt. Instant I am being burdened because I've not been tithing enough to, and I've not been giving back and not being generous. And do you know, do you, like, do you know how that really gets translated? God is mad at me because I robbed from him. Yep. So now he's against me. I literally had someone on social media the other day and it wasn't about tithing, but he, he literally said on social media, he said, I'm beyond God's grace. There is no salvation for me. Mm. And my heart broke, and I just said, brother, I, I don't believe anyone's beyond salvation. I pray that you see the mercy and love of Christ. And here was his next response. He said, no, you don't get it. I paid for an abortion, and then my son died. And I begged God for a year to heal my son, to save my son. And when my son died, I knew it was because I paid for that abortion. And my heart is breaking because I know he's not ready to hear it from me. I know I can't force it on him. But I'm sitting there going, that's not God. God, even when we do something that is heinous, when we're faithless, he's faithful. He still loves us. He is not going to say, oh, you paid for an abortion. Let me show you. He, he, I, I don't know why God didn't answer your prayer with your kid. But what I do know is God didn't kill your son because you, you know, your son didn't die because you didn't give enough. Right. But that's the same line. That's like that same line of thinking, just not on steroids. Back it off a little bit. And, oh, I didn't give enough. Malachi 310, I robbed from God, and I had the worst year yet because I robbed from God. Now, in the Miracle Offering documentary, because you talked about you know the special giving seasons, giving above and beyond, if you haven't watched the Miracle Offering documentary, you can click here and you can watch that. I highly recommend it. Uh, you may have to watch it in a few sittings, but fantastic. I'm very, very proud of that documentary. But there's a person on there who said, Gosh, we gave $50,000 one year. Another one said we gave over 50% of our entire income one year. And those were the worst years of business for one of those couples' lives. Right? So you can have a year where you've given more than you've ever given, and it's the worst year of business financially. And you can have a year where you didn't give, and it was the worst year of business. Because, like, there's other things involved in that. It's not based on how much you're giving. No, and that's the thing. It's like, well, but they're so trained to think that, the more I give, the more I'm going to receive back. And why the Bible does say we'll reap what we sow, right? That that you, we have to an unhealthy degree, tied that to money in a way that now we're fearful of our Father. We're fearful of Abba if we don't give enough. Mm-hmm. That's not everybody. Everybody listening, that's not you. But that happens. Totally get that. Yeah. So for me, um, like as I was listening to you talk a minute ago and everything else, and you just mentioned fear. Um, I think that I've just personally refused to respond to fear in any way in my life. So, or guilt, guilt and fear are two of those things that when I feel them creep up, I just reject them and I, I reject them quickly. Mm-hmm. And because it's, I, maybe I'm sensitive to them and I've been captive to them a lot in the past. Yeah. So if I, if I feel like someone's trying to use guilt on anything, the answer is automatically not. Mm-hmm. If somebody tries to invoke fear to get me to do something, answer is automatically no. Like I just refuse to bow yeah. to those tactics. And so I think that's one of the reasons why for me, I have a lot of freedom in giving is because I don't respond to manipulating. <clears throat> like, so I, that's a hard line for me is to, yeah, it's a very hard line. Like if, if it's fear or guilt or shame, uh-huh. If it's anything that comes from accusation, yeah, I'm, I'm getting ready to go Pentecostal here, but uh, 
but it's uh you'll be speaking in tongues in a minute on the mic yeah so uh but you know the scripture says that the devil comes to steal kill and destroy mm -hmm. but he is the accuser of the brethren and so anytime i feel accusation fear shame guilt condemnation any message that brings any of that like if i'm sitting in a pulpit listening to a message about anything and those are the emotions that i'm handling uh I have been not to get up and walk out. You know, like uh, that doesn't mean you won't come back to that church. You yeah. just know you you so, are so healthy in that way. But you've done the work. You've done the work from talking to people who are you know trained in psychology to even I know you're doing some work with Rob Scott right now on the forgiveness link. You've done the work to get to that point, yeah. right? For a lot of us, we haven't done that work. But you know, we know that Scripture says for the most of us that, that hey, therefore there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But we also don't know the difference between conviction and condemnation. So yes, God will convict us when we're not being generous, and it'll sound something like this. Hey, Buck, buddy, God bless you. You saw that need. You could take care of that. You're, come on, man. You know you can do it, and I'll take care of you. It's, it's like a pull, reminder of who you are, but it's a gentle pull while also being you know firm. Condemnation is, I can't believe you didn't give to that person. What if that homeless person dies in their sleep tonight mm -hmm. because you don't give that's condemnation now there's a whole breadth of of in between there right but condemnation is always a pull to be who you are to trust god for who he is right yeah. so we don't know that difference if someone hasn't done the work and um man i'm telling you I, I say this so much i haven't said it in a while but if you're not in therapy i recommend therapy for everybody a lot of people will go, Jeff, I'm not ready for therapy. And that's why we have partners like Rob Scott and the Forgiveness Link, like Destin Stitt and the East Tennessee Mentorship Association. Because if you're not ready for therapy, go talk to one of them, right? You know, find something you can do. But if we don't do the work, those things will hold on to us. So I'm so glad to hear that you've gotten free of that because a lot of us haven't. And for me, I don't respond to the fear and the guilt and the, the shame and condemnation anymore. But when I hear it, because I hear so many stories of the damage it's done, I can't be a partner with it. Because of what we're doing, because the way I'm trying to protect people, my justice button, I can't be a part of it, which is why I had that fear of, of walking out for good. Yeah, yeah, and that's what, yeah, so that's kind of where I was coming uh, from even in that <laughs> earlier, is that I just, um, it's just, I rebuke fear. You know, I rebuke that, I, I rebuke uh, accusation. Yeah, and that's just uh, you know something that we you we do in our life. Even well, yeah, I'm not gonna get into that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. No, man, I I I get it, and it's good. And and perfect love casts out fear, mm -hmm. right? So when when we know scripture, right, we can get to that healthy place. Mm -hmm. But also when you're trying to weigh scripture, if there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, perfect love casts out fear. Right, he is faithful even when we're faithless. But we've also got Malachi three ten ringing in the back of our head, and it's like, oh, but I robbed God, and I'm really pissed when people rob me. Like when people steal from me, I want to punch him in the mouth. Does God want to punch me in the mouth? Is God pressing charges this time? Right, like it goes through our head because we got these conflicting scriptures. So I, I want to do this. Yeah. I want to hear from each of you if you're comfortable. You don't want to share anything that you're not comfortable with. But um, Buck, I know that you've got some stuff that you want to share. Vicky, I don't know if you do or not. Solely fine. We're going to get into what those, uh, we're going to ask three questions today. Um, I'll go ahead and tell you where we're going. We're going to ask, what does the Bible say about tithing? We're going to ask, what does church history tell us about tithing? And then we're going to ask, what do honest pastors, when they're not in front of other churches, say about tithing, right? 
that's what we're going to look at today. But before we get there, because, um, of course, my views on tithing are going to come out by the end. But are there any views you guys have of tithing that you just want to share before we get started? Because we don't all share the exact same view. I think we get to a similar place. Um, we haven't talked about it, so we may totally disagree by the end of this. Uh, but I know a little bit, Buck, of your view on tithing. Is there any part of your view on tithing that you want to share with people as they're listening before we look at this and we tear apart some preconceived notions? Just anything that you want them to know? Okay. So for me, um, my understanding of scripture is it's 10% of your increase. And so, which increase is not income. There's a big difference between uh, gross receipts, uh, pre-tax, post-tax, all this other stuff. Like, you know, as a business owner, you start breaking down that my increase, I might might have a lot of cash flow, but there's a difference between cash flow and increase. I, I want to, yeah, I'm a business consultant. I work with businesses. You look at, you just look at their revenue. It's like, oh my gosh, they did like five, six million this year. And then you take out all of the loss and taxes and everything else. And you're like, they didn't make any money. They made less money than, you know, a normal person working a normal job. So, so for me, you know, uh, it's just, uh, so I'm like, okay, if, 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 you know, the biblical tithe, and it's the old Testament tithe, let me, let me qualify that. It's not the, in my opinion, it's not the new Testament. You got to be careful there. The social media keyboard theology warriors will come after you. They're coming after me hard already for separating Old Testament and New Testament tithe <laughs> tangentially. So, I mean, and so I would say to them, okay, bring me 10% of the increase of your herd. Bring me 10% of the increase of your grain. <laughs> you know, but bring me your agricultural tithe. Don't leave out 10% of your wine because it was in there and I want 10% of your wine. So, but that, they're giving you 100% of their wine on the comments. <laughs> anyway, the, uh, but no, so, but it's increase. That's the thing. And so it's not, but by the time most people pay their bills, there, all there is a decrease. Look at the rising consumer debt. Look at all these other things. All we can see is decrease. And so, but it's really 10% of your increase. And because when you're giving an agricultural tithe, Right. So if you got if you get your herd, for instance, if you're giving an agricultural tithe on your herd and your animals, if you tithe on the total number every year, like you're you're not going to have enough animals to keep making an increase. Right. But it's hey, how many? Because some years that herd's going to have more babies. You're going to have more sheep babies. You're going to have more cow babies. You you guys know how this works. Right. That's that's how an increase works with your crops. There's you know, every year is an increase. Right. Every year there's an increase because you start from zero. But there are years that I have more of an increase than others. What I can't do is I know how much my family had to have to live on last year. So what I'm not going to do is go, oh, well, I've got to tie 10% of this when I know for the last three years, if we didn't have that, we would make it to winter. That's not what God wants, right? So that's what you're talking about with the with the increase. Yeah, and so like for me, it's if I deducted all my expenses, all my household expenses, because household expenses cost to eat, cost to clothe my children, cost all that what's really so to me when i see 10 percent of increase to put it in modern terms it would be 10 percent of your disposable income after you pay for your necessities that's the way i actually see it um now for my personal conviction you know so that's, that's just the way you see scripture that's, that's not necessarily what you're getting so but your thought is just to clarify this like you make five thousand dollars more as a household than you made last year 
but you also had twins. The, the, the you're saying your biblical understanding is, hey, they would actually probably give less this year because they didn't have they didn't really have an increase. They had a decrease. Well, it's not even an increase in your income. It's it's how much did you make on top or beyond what your expenses yeah. is like. But the, the reason why I'm asking that question is so I'll, I'll give you a real life story, right? And I think this person would be fine with me saying this. I won't, I won't give their name. Um, but I had someone who reached out to me. They knew we were doing the tithing episode and they said, hey, I've got to know what the Bible says about tithing. I'm conflicted. I need some input. I need some wisdom because here's what's happening. Basically, there's a medical issue with my kid, um, some stuff that insurance isn't covering. I'm going to be spending so many thousand dollars a month um, for the next 12 months out of pocket to make this happen. I have to do this for my kid. We're giving well above and beyond the tithe. We're giving a tithe to our church. We're giving a couple of different offerings to different nonprofits. And if we took a percentage off of that and brought our giving down to, let's say, 7 8%, it would go under 10%, but we could take care of our family and not have to worry about loans or be scared or walk in fear just for this medical issue for my child. But we need to do that for 12 months. But is God going to be mad at me? Am I going to be being disobedient? Am I going to be unfaithful if my giving dropped to 8%? Right? Um, I think you're, I think so that that we were taking care of our fame place. Well, because, and, and I just told her, I said, well, well, God's a good father and he loves your kid more than you do. So what you're feeling right now, he feels that amplified, you know. So what, kind of what I told her off of that, and, and that's why I was asking, because I want to clarify this with you from your viewpoint. I'm not trying to put words yeah. in your mouth. What I told her though, was I said, hey, if if you need to pull back your giving and take care of your family, I, one, I think God is okay with that because he's a good dad. I said, but here's the thing. If you ever see a need that you feel called to fill, whether you have the money or not, if you feel called to fill it, fill it, because God will take care of you. But if you don't feel the conviction when you pray about it, that I have to keep it at 10%, if, if, if God is not calling you to do that, then take that as the father saying, take care of your kids. And he's not up there counting beans to say, you're, you're robbing me over 2%. Now, I also told her, I said, that is my viewpoint. I gave her every scripture on tithing, basically, and said, hey, go check this out. Check me by scripture, because I'll always say that. But what I'm hearing you say is in that situation, because of those thousands of dollars going out, they may not have an increase that means that they, that because their increase is less because of that, that it would be okay to give less is what you're saying. So, yeah, what I'm saying is, let's say, uh, to put numbers to it, let's say you have $5,000 a month in income, okay, a family. And so um, $4,000 need to go out to meet necessities. You know, uh, my this is my opinion, you know, so $4,000 goes out a month. So that increase is how much are you increasing in per month? Which would be $1,000. Which would be $1,000. So you would give 10% of the 1000 So your bottom line tithe would be 100 bucks, 100 a bucks a month. So, but then if you have a medical bill that's $1,200 a month, you have no increase. You don't have enough to cover your needs and the medical bill. You have a decrease in your net value. You have credit cards is what you you have. have. Credit cards and you have debt. So you're taking on more. So that's a decrease. And so um, that's my opinion. So personally, so then you go to Malachi 310 and, you know, uh, You've talked about the first, you know, Malachi 310a, but 310b, or maybe it's the next verse. Testing in this. Do what, or it says that, but it's not just that. It says that your tithes rebuke the devourer. 
So to me, giving to the storehouse is an act of monetary spiritual warfare. So <laughs> the reason why I that sounds so Pentecostal. Do I, yeah, there you go. I'll start thinking. <laughs> but so, but the act of tithing, according to Malachi three ten. It's do not rob God, test me in this, that kind of stuff. I'm more filial coffers, all that. That that sounds great. But you know what I found in my life, um, and this personal testimony about it, is it seemed like every time I turned around, there was a car breaking down. Every time I turned around, HVAC system was going out, or then there was this bill or that bill. Hmm. And so then I'm like, you know what? Scripture says that my tithe rebukes the devourer. And uh, there was one guy that I used to listen to that he said every time he gave his money to the church, he'd scream, destroy hell, has beat, put his money in the uh, offering book. I bet they loved that. Yeah. I hope it was during a prayerful moment. Yeah, it, no, but uh, like he'd scream it out in the church. Take this, um, hell. Yeah. Suck on this, Satan. <laughs> so, but, but, so, By the way, if anybody can send me a video of them putting money in the plate and yelling, suck on this, Satan. <laughs> I got. I'll give you a hundred bucks just to be nice, man. First person. Uh, so the uh, so my conviction <laughs> is uh, my conviction in it is that to me giving is spiritual warfare for for my financial well being, and so that the reasons I have joy in giving is because I believe not that I'm robbing God, because I believe there's all kinds of grace for that, right? I, I believe that we're in the age of grace, that that you know, grace covers a multitude of sins. It's not because of that. It's not because of anybody. It's that, to me, that's an act of spiritual warfare. And so I give joyfully, um, and I give, and I, I wouldn't attend a church personally if I didn't trust their finances, and so I have to be able to trust finance it before I get it. And so, and that's part of me. I can't trust them with the gospel message if I don't trust them with finances. I can't trust my children to sit in their youth groups if I can't trust their finances. So if I'm in a situation where I'm not trusting someone's finances yeah. and their ability, that I better not be putting my kids in the children's ministry. Mm-hmm. Like, because and that's far more valuable been my measly little tithe that I get. And yeah. And I, I think, so there, there's an important, I think, delineation there. I think that's important for someone when they say that to say, if I don't feel comfortable, I don't need to be here. I think it's very different when a pastor who's upset you're not giving or when you have a question, like, cause I've seen this happen a lot. Someone has a question and really all they want is the pastor to put them at ease that you are being transparent with this money. I just need to make sure. And instead of giving an answer, a lot of a lot of pastors will go to well if you can't trust us you need to find a church you can trust. I think coming from the other side that's a little damaging. Now you can get there, but that shouldn't be your go-to. Your go-to should be let me help you understand this, let me help you get there, let me help you grow, right? Um does that make sense? Like I think it's one thing for us to say it. it's another thing when pastors weaponize it because then it's like well, hey, if you can't trust us you need to find another church you can trust because uh it's all about giving it's all about trusting God with your money anyway. That's what leads to that guilt and shame that Vicky was talking about earlier of, well, man, if I trusted them, I wouldn't ask these questions anyway. And I'll always say this. It doesn't matter what denomination you are. It doesn't matter what version and brand of Christianity that you are. Any pastor, any priest, any bishop, whatever, should be okay with questions. Okay? Because the the number one 
requirement of a pastor is to be above reproach. And I say this all the time, we can't be above reproach if we're not willing to be reproached. So I think those questions, I do want to at least say that, I think those questions are okay, but I do love the way that you, the way that you come at that. And, and because of, so it sounds to me like the way that you see tithing, you actually give way more than what is the tithe, because what you see is what is the tithe. You have a lot more freedom than a lot of people in that because it's off the increase, yet you still give a lot more than the tithe would require because it's a way for you of doing spiritual warfare mm-hmm. um, through your finances. Yeah, and I believe in you reap what you sow. You know, so without being, well, not name it, claim it, crap, or anything like that. There has to be limits because if I bury a dollar, it doesn't turn into two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're right. But I do believe that, and I was looking up uh, before I came, Second Corinthians 9, mm-hmm. but that he gives seed to the sower. And, but that I believe that in the same measure we give, we, we will receive and settle and not in the prosperity gospel way, because I believe that applies to if we give people time or we give people love and yeah. stuff, yeah. you know, we're going to reap that. But I also believe that financially that when I am generous, I am going to reap generosity. That might be financial generosity. It can be generosity from a lot of different places. So to me, it's, I'm, I'm huge, um, that in my actions, I try to be, but I, I'm huge that, that everything I do, um, I believe that we reap what we sow. So yeah. part of being generous to me is sowing, which that 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 the I, the concept of sowing, especially in charismatic and Pentecostal circles, has been so perverted by the prosperity gospel. Yes, it that is. it's disgusting. And so we're not allowed to say you reap what you sow when it comes to money anymore without someone automatically assuming that they're hearing you name it, claim it. And that's because you've heard pastors use that truth to manipulate people into giving beyond their means. Yeah, yeah. And so, but anyway, so I'm big into that. Like, I I really believe that I reap what I sow. And so I want to reap generosity in my life. So I want to sow generously believing that he is going to supply all my needs. Yeah. And so that he is, that he is my supplier, that he is the provider for my family. And so that is, so financially, I'm really one of those. A lot of people think I'm way wacko, but I really want to be scriptural in everything I do. Yeah. Well, and I, I love it too, because, you know, you're talking about sowing and reaping, man. You said, if I sow generosity, I reach gener- I reap generosity. What you didn't say was if I sow $5, I reap five more. That $5 and five more back. We don't always reap, when we reap what we sow, you don't always reap what you gave financially. You reap it in other ways. Like, and Candace and I are in a, the best place financially that we've ever been, right? Um, and we are still giving very generously, but it's we're, we're walking on blessing, on blessing, on blessing right now. Like, ridiculous. And, um, man, it, this is the first time I can't tell you what percentage of my income I'm giving. Because what we're doing is just giving when there's needs. We give some to the church and we give when there's needs. And I think we're probably giving more, but I don't know. I don't know what the percentage is. And that has been so freeing to me because I can tell you, you know, I, I can tell you the years we gave 18% and the year we gave 16 and the year we gave 17 and the year we gave 13 because it was bad and I felt disobedient, right? This is the first year I haven't known that. And I don't care to know. I just want to be generous. Right. And so what you're doing for all your haters is you have sung love and generosity into this uh, community uh, around Church Disrupted. 
you've sown generously into that and you're reaping a harvest of generosity and love back. Now, the other people have hated their part. So, but you know what? It's the wheat and the tares. You know, they're going to be plucked out. And um, so that's not witchcraft, me saying that before somebody says it is. But, you know, they have to examine the fruit of their own sowing. And if they're sowing hatred and bitterness and rage and anger, man, King God hate to reap that harvest. Yeah. Like, well, animal. And and we do. So it's the the law of sowing and reaping is not about what I give, I get in return as far as like the dollar amount. That's where it's been so perverted. It, it really is. I think a lot of what we've sown is time into people. Time into people that, not just this, time into people that no one will ever see this time on a camera this year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sowing this too. And, and then Vicky, I know you got something you want to say. I just realized as you were saying it though, Buck, I'm sowing freedom. Yeah. Freedom to be generous without looking at the number and without comparing it to last yeah. year or comparing it to who I, I used to be or what other people give. And because I'm sowing that freedom, I'm reaping that freedom. Because I also... Don't have any idea what's in my bank account or my business bank account day to day. Okay. I have to ask or I have to go look. Um, and, and a lot of times I will literally say, hey, I see this need. Do we have the money to give that? Right. And it's not because I want other people to be in control. Right. It is not even that I want like Candace to be in control of our finances. I can see it at any time. I don't want to be bound by it. Right. So I live like we're as poor as ever. Like, I just don't do stuff and ask for stuff, right? But I love that question. Like, we had, you know, Ken Arrington on, um, you know, a few weeks ago for the Church of the Business Bill. And I loved it when I got to sit down with my wife and, and I said, hey, Ken and his wife and his family, they're about to move to Puerto Rico to start this next mission. They're taking everything that they do have that they haven't sold and they're having to get it to Puerto Rico. I said, can we give that? Mm. And she's like, how yeah, we, we got money. And I said, well, what are you thinking? And I had a number and then she gave me like, you know, she gave me more. I was like, awesome. Great. I was afraid you're going to say it was too much. Right. Yeah. You know, and it was just, it was a little thing, but it was something we hadn't planned on. Yeah. And I love being able to do that. So sowing freedom, reaping freedom. So I'm um, just to kind of recap with you, your view of tithing from your biblical understanding, right? Is that it's 10% of the increase, which takes away a lot of the fear, a lot of the despair, a lot of the guilt. Yet, you want to give as generously as you can above that because you see it as a way of doing a spiritual warfare, yeah. right? Of rebuking the enemy um, and rebuking, you know, what he's trying to devour. Um, Vicki, I look like you had something you want to share. I, I do. Cause it's all tied to what you all have been talking about. So, um, cause I was, I was sitting here thinking, you know, what are my views? You know, I know it feels sometimes it feels like obligation <clears throat> and I hate to say that word, but, um, but it, but not in a bad way, but I'm bad. Um, but I, I I like hearing what's happening here because it helps me understand some things better. You know, it helps me marinate in that and I can think about it. And so all that was good. But I, I wanted to say that one thing that I thought maybe was a not as popular thought about being generous because you bring out generosity, not just tithing, mm-hmm. um, but of our turn is not serving generosity. Yeah, I think it is. I think it's. A, I think it's a big part of it. Now, there's no of our time, not just to our church, but to the people around us. You know, like in our in our communities, in mm-hmm. work, in our neighborhoods, with our friends, with our family. My wife was at a band board meeting yesterday, and she's given hundreds of hours to, you know, the Carnes High School band, right? 
Yeah. And I don't think, I don't think that God wants us just to give our time through the church, right? Because she's got to pour, she, you know, every time she's doing something like that, I'll see her before the end of the day, there's some teenage girl talking to her that's just walking away with a big smile on their face or walking away with a tear of joy because Candace is pouring into them. I've seen the way she is with those others. But if you just think about tithing, now here's the danger. If you just think about generosity as tithing, well, you can't really, you can tithe your time, but there's no biblical precedent. So I'm going to say that there's no biblical precedent for tithe, tithing your time. There's not a biblical precedent for tithing a lot of things, but we'll get into that here in a minute. I'm probably making Buck nervous because he has no idea where I'm going. Um, but there's 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 not a biblical precedent for that. But what Paul was all about was, man, just be generous. Right. Well, but you're also, you're building relationships. You're showing people Jesus, period. If I can go to, to uh, the store and grab some hot chocolate and some tea and some cookies for my students at school, and surprise them the next day with it. And hey, look what I have for you. And they're like, you yep. know, and you're bringing joy to somebody. And it might've been a little, you know, it could, like I could have bought myself some groceries, but I wanted to treat my students one day. You know, I was still led to bring them some joy that day. And that's Maybe bigger than what you paid for right. because you had to put time into that. Right. Because I feel like, you know, if you're feeding into what you like, you, you know, like, hey, I feel like, I think they need a little boost tomorrow. I'm gonna go grab some hot chocolate. And we're, you know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like that's still being generous in giving. I agree. I totally agree. Sometimes I feel like um, the programs, especially the growth track program, is we haven't hammered growth track in a while. Yeah, you know, I haven't been here in a while. It's probably time to hammer it again. But so man, we're growing on social media, and the sad part of growing on social media is I get excited because when we grow on social media, I get excited because more people are hearing the content. We can help more people heal. I know I'm going to hear stories where I get to say, I'm so sorry. That's not Jesus. I love you. How can we help? But if I can be totally honest in my flesh, every time a video hits or we start growing on a different platform, my stomach drops a little bit because I know it's going to come with people just tearing us a new one, man. Which, by the way, can I just say this? If you've got pastor or ministry in your bio, watch how you talk on social media. Like, I got cussed out by more pastors this week on social media. Um, and I know there's a lot that, that, that didn't, but take when you're saying stupid stuff and you're accusing people of stupid stuff and you're cussing at them and everything else, and you're super angry and you've got pastor and the link to your church in your bio, come on, get out of here. Send me a message. Tell me all that. I'm not going to tell people if you send it a private message. Okay. I'll take it, but we're making the kingdom look bad when we do that kind of stuff. That was totally aside, but yeah, and I want to add to that that if you name your ministry after yourself, get over yourself. Yeah, we don't normally name names, but Mark's ministry. Um, yeah, it it took about two hundred comments before I finally had to um, block that guy. He accused me of witchcraft for praying over him. So uh, yeah, you know he probably that he's so anyway the um, you know what? Let's pray for Mark, Lord, right now in the name of Jesus. I just pray for Mark. I just pray that you bless him and touch him, and Lord, just uh, purify his heart and just draw near to him and help him draw nearer to you in the name of Jesus. Uh, and, and, and Lord, I, I really do, really do pray for Mark. Like, there's just so much anger there, and as much as I got frustrated with it, um, Lord, I just pray that you give him joy. He can hate me all he wants. I'm okay with that. I get it, Lord, but I just pray that you give him joy this week because I can tell he loves you. I can tell he's putting a lot of time into ministry, yet the anger just raged. And 
you know, Lord, forgive me. I probably shouldn't have named his name. Um, you know, not naming a full name, but even his account, but God, just help us. Everybody who's listening, everybody who's watching, help us to represent the kingdom well on social media. And when we don't, to own it and to simply say, my bad, that wasn't Jesus and I can be better. It's in Christ's name. Amen. So can I just kind of stop and say, like, we did not plan that. That is not for show. That's how we operate. But I know someone's going to be like, oh gosh, they just did that for show. Like, no, that's how we operate. And the moment you said, let's pray for, you know, let's pray for Mark. I'm like, oh crap, I don't want to pray for Mark. That means I need to pray for Mark. Right. <laughs> um, and I was, and I was convicted. And then by the time it got to me praying, it's like, I really do feel bad. Like I'm just, you know, still, still holding this bitterness from yesterday over, you know, it's so silly. So back to growth track. uh, What I was going to say is when you talk about, you know, tightening time, you know, and I've heard some people do that. And uh, I'm about to say something really unpopular. I think sometimes the church steals, the, the, the church organization steals resources from the body of believers. And so when you look at growth track and it says, find your, discover your purpose, like, um, and it says, find your purpose serving in the church. What if my purpose isn't serving in your organization and serving your stupid programs? What if my purpose is going to the street? What if my purpose is discipling my neighbor? What if my purpose is sitting with a widow or an orphan down the street from me? What if my purpose is going into my community? Shame on growth track and shame on them for robbing resources from the church, making the church feel obligated to serve within the four walls when Jesus told us to go out and make disciples. Shame on them and shame on the church for stealing for stealing financial resources and time resources and stealing resources from the body because the organization thinks it can be a better steward than me. And you know what? I'm not going to get political. I almost did. <laughs> anyway, but that's what I think about that. And man, and, and there's nothing right. We got to say this because, you know, um, it was fantastic. We all serve in the church. We're not against serving in the church. Right. Um, but I, I meet with so many business owners that they did not see how being a kingdom business owner could fill part of, part of their purpose because what they were taught at church is not my purpose is to serve the kingdom. And but, you know, I just don't feel fulfilled because they put me in the parking lot. Okay, look, if you're if you're equipped to be a business owner, that can be a part of your purpose. It can be how you share the gospel. But if God has gifted you in such a way to be a business owner and the only place the church sees for you to serve is in the parking lot, there's nothing wrong with the parking lot. But if you're not getting fulfilled there, then at times the church wastes gifts because they don't know what to do with people, but they have a need. And the church leaders are scared of the the leadership gifts because they're afraid that they'll be pushed aside and they're afraid that they're going to have their attention that they so deeply crave and desire stolen from them. Mm-hmm. Tell us how you really feel, Buck. You know, and and I'll say, so normally y'all are the ones kind of saying this for, you know, for me, I'll say this for you, not trying to soften it at all, but there's always people who like, that we you know, we'll have clips with, you know, there's people who think we're painting in broad strokes. We're all pro-serving. We think serving in the church is yeah. good, but not all of your serving needs to be in the church and you're not being disobedient if you're called to serve for a season mostly outside of the church and i was saying this what's the purpose of a church if it's not to go out and serve the community well and and i think i think this is the biggest issue believers of course yeah we held us stronger together right but we are supposed to also then go out and serve our community and other people 
that lost people that are lost, people that have a need. Mm-hmm. That's right. People that need love, whatever it is. So you, you know what I think causes that is in modern church culture, um, if we're trying to be like the big church down the street, or if we are the big church down the street, right? Then it takes so many man hours and time and dollars to get our show as good as their show so that people will come to our show instead. But if it is taking all of your people's free time to prepare the show for the weekend so that they can't actually be serving in the community, then we have missed it because church is about equipping the saints to go out and do the good work. Sunday's where we come in and tell the stories, right? Church days where you come in and tell the stories of all God did in me this week. And where you get sharpened and filled up to go do it the next week because it's tough out there. No, but then because most people who are serving have a day job. And so I have to go to work so they can live, support their families, and live and eat and have a house and whatever. Yeah. Right? So the only other additional time they have to give is on the weekends, most likely, at their church. Mm-hmm. So if we're not actually building more of a... Like, no wonder why a lot of people don't come to the church or don't stay there. They may feel tugged to visit, but they don't stay because they don't feel like they're being reached, or they see that it's just, it's like this separate thing. Yeah. But I think for all of our generosity, time, money, it doesn't matter. Now, I'm not talking about tithing, but I'm talking about generosity. For all of our generosity, we need to put it where God's calling us to put it, mm-hmm. right? And I, I really believe this. There are going to be seasons in all of our lives where God is calling us to put the majority of our generosity outside the four walls of the church. That doesn't mean if we all stop giving to the church, then churches aren't going to function. We're not supposed to do that. But I think there's a lot of money that we're pulling inside the church that God is calling us and saying, no, go be my hands and feet, because we don't need to pad an already big balance sheet. And this is going to be unpopular probably with some people, but um, if I'm going to a church and I know my church has a big balance sheet and they're doing really well, but I've got a friend who is leading a church that I don't feel called to go to, but I know they're struggling to make ends meet. Sometimes I want to give to... Like right now, part of part of my tithe is going to a different church than the one I'm going to because I've got another friend. Because you see Yeah, me. and then I've got another friend I want to help, and then I'm like, but man, is it okay to spread it between three churches? And I think it is, right? <clears throat> I think it is. So um, I just want to give people some freedom on that. Where God is calling you to be generous, how God is calling you to be generous, let's listen to that nudge of the Holy Spirit and not get caught up on where it's supposed to go. So let's, let's talk about this because um, this is going to take us a little while. Um, we're about an hour in the podcast already, so this may be a two, little over two hour. I don't, I don't know. Um, I want to look at this though. What I'm going to do again? Three questions. What does the Bible teach us about tithing? Okay. What does church history teach us about tithing? Because I think that's important. We can never look at church history and tradition over um, other stuff. I don't know what just happened. Balloons went all over my screen. So I don't know if that happened on the podcast or what I said or what I hit to make it happen, but like birthday balloons. So if nothing happened and I'm just talking about random stuff, I'm so glad we fixed that. Um, But if you saw the balloons, uh, celebrate. I have no idea what I did. (laughs) But we never want church history, going back to that, we never want church history to inform us above the Bible. But outside, beyond the Bible, church history can teach us so much because if we don't understand the heresies and mistakes of the past, we're doomed to repeat them, mm-hmm. right? And then the last question I want to ask is, what do pastors, honest pastors and anonymous surveys today, what are they saying about tithing? Because, and I'm not accusing pastors of lying, okay? I'm not doing that at all. 
But when pastors are being surveyed anonymously by organizations that are serving pastors, they feel comfortable saying different things than they would say in the pulpit when they're trying to make the church run. Okay. And when they have to be careful what they say, because sometimes elders and deacon boards and everybody else have an expectation. Their domination has an expectation. So um, we all know when we can be anonymous, we'll be a little bit more free. Okay. So I want to look at those three things in that, that order. I'm going to tell you what I see. Feel free to disagree. Feel free to ask questions. Um, because again, I want to see if you see what I see, but regardless of whether you agree with me, whether y'all agree with me, right? If we'll go do this and ask, what does the Bible actually say about tithing and any other question we have, we'll ask these questions. It's going to bring us freedom, guys, because there's a lot of tradition in the church that doesn't belong there. There's a lot of things that we do that God never called us to do, or at least called us, didn't call us to do it that way, right? So let's look at this. We're going to go through a lot of different scripture today. Okay. If you don't like scripture, this is probably not the podcast for you. And here's the reason we're going to go through scripture. I'm using the ESV, which I don't normally use because it's not as readable. But it's because it's one of the most accurate word-for-word translations I've found. So I want to make sure that when it's trying to go word by word, when we're dealing with stuff like the tithe, we want to make sure that we get this right. Okay, so we're going to start in the Old Testament. Then we're going to go to the New Testament. um, And then we'll go beyond. So what does the Bible say about tithing? Not generosity, but tithing. Um, The first place you see it is in Leviticus with the Levitical law. Okay, and there's multiple places in Leviticus, but I'm going to give us mainly one because this is the main spot that talks about it. You can go into Leviticus 27 and it talks about the tithe in, in multiple places. Okay, but Leviticus 27:30, this is the Mosaic law. Okay, a big portion of the Mosaic law to the Israelites. It says a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. A tithe literally means tenth, but it also means portion. So sometimes you're going to see in the Old Testament even it's used as tenth, it's used as tithe. It doesn't mean tenth in all those places, but it means either tenth or portion. Okay, so um, like when Abraham tithed uh, to, it says he tithed to Melchizedek, there's a lot of scholars will say that could have just meant like he took off the top portion, right, you know, um, of his spoils of war, which we'll talk about that later. But Leviticus 27.30, a tithe of everything from the land, grain, soil, fruit, trees, it belongs to the Lord. So we take that as a tenth of what you grew, right, um, that belongs to the Lord. That was the first mention of tithing. Now, we see still in the law, okay, um, Numbers 18, 21. To the Levites, I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service that they do their service in the tent of meeting. So in Numbers, it tells us what is this tithe for. This is not the only place. The Bible talks about it in more, more places But the tithe we're most familiar is what's called the first tithe. It is the tithe that went to the Levites. The Levites were not only the priest in the temple, they had to come from the tribe of Levi. But if you remember, the tribe of Levi didn't have an allotment of land in Israel. The tribe of Levi, they kind of had an area they lived that they didn't own. They couldn't grow crops. They didn't have everything that everybody else had. They were supposed to have to survive off of their brothers and off of the tithe. It was part of what, when... um, Jacob was blessing his sons. He basically said to Simeon and Levi, you know, here's some of the cursing that's going to happen on you, right? And that was part of what was talked about. Levi wasn't going to have any land. So that's what it says the tithe. I've given every tithe um, in Israel for an inheritance, right? That's given to the Levites. And then the Levites were supposed to give a tithe of a tithe, okay? So in um, a little bit farther in Numbers 18, this is 23 through 25, just a few verses down. But the Levites shall do the service of the tent of meeting. They shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations and among the people of Israel 
that they shall have no inheritance. Just means for a long time, you're not going to have land. For the tithe of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to the Lord, I have given to the Levites as an inheritance. So both places we see, because the Levites have no land, that's what that first tithe is for, right? So that's the first thing we need to understand. From the very beginning, the tithe in the Mosaic law was to provide for the Levites. It was a tax of sorts, because we have to remember the Mosaic law wasn't just spiritual. It was also, uh, it was governmental. How are we going to run as a nation, especially before we have kings? And part of that was the tithe is for the Levites. Agree? Okay, y'all see anything I'm missing there? Okay. Numbers 18, 28. So you shall present a contribution to the Lord from all your tithes, which you receive from the people of Israel. And you give it, you give the Lord's contribution to Aaron, the priest. What that's talking about? After the Levites got their tithe, they took it to live on. So all this grain, all these animals, it went to the storehouse so that they could live for the next year. So they could live for the next month because the tithes were, you know, were brought, some of them brought once some of them were brought regularly, right? They had all this, they would store it up so they could live. That's how they got animals. That's how they got food. Okay. But they tithed on a 10th of what they got back to the temple to take care of the priest, the Levites who actually lived in the temple day and night doing the work of the Lord. And that money was used for upkeep on the temple. So it only took a 10th of a 10th, a tithe of a tithe for the upkeep of the temple. And all of that wasn't used for the upkeep of the temple, which was absolutely glorious. Okay. Um, Megan said so far. Right? Okay, so let's go to Deuteronomy. So far, Leviticus and Numbers, I know I've given you all a lot of scripture, but Leviticus and Numbers, that's all it says about the tithe. Okay? The tithe is for the Levites. We've seen that multiple times. It's a 10% of your agriculture, your grain and stuff so far, right? Um, and when the Levites get it, they tithe off the tithe. Okay? So, Deuteronomy 12, 5 through 7. But you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name. There you shall go. So we're talking about a specific place that you're going to go. And there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and the contribution you present. Go into this place. I'm bringing this. What am I doing? Okay. It says you bring your vow offerings, your free will offerings, all of that. The firstborn of your herd, firstborn of your flock. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God and shall rejoice and your households in all that you undertake in which the Lord has blessed you. That tithe was for a meal. And if you actually read farther, it was a meal with a Levite from your town. It was a reminder that the tithe was for the Levites. And you would go have this meal with a Levite, right? Deuteronomy 12, 11, it's talking about that again, going to that place that you choose, bringing your tithe, right? It continues to talk about that all through Deuteronomy 12. This is a different tithe than the tithe of firsts. It still involves firsts, but it's a different tithe entirely. It's not bringing it to the storehouse. And you're actually preparing this meal. Now, um, let me see, uh, Deuteronomy 12, 16 through 18, still talking about this kind of same, similar thing. Only... You shall not eat the blood. You shall pour it out on the earth like water. You may not eat within your towns the tithe of your grain, your wine, or your oil. So he's telling them, hey, don't eat that inside of your town. Remember before he was saying you'll go to this special place, right? So you, you want to eat this special tithe meal outside of your town, outside of that place. But it says, let me see in verse 18, but you shall eat them before the Lord your God in the place that the Lord your God will choose you and your son and your daughter your male servant and your female servant, 
and the Levite who is within your towns, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God in all that you undertake. It's literally, all of Deuteronomy 12 is talking about a tithe that is used for a meal in a special holy place with a Levite from your town. Because what was the tithe for again? The part of this is a ceremonial reminder of who it's for and what I'm giving for, right? Um, Deuteronomy 14, it kind of moves on a little bit and it's just talking about the tithe. It says, you shall tithe 14, 22 through 23. You shall tithe all the yield, going back to increase. You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose and make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, your wine, your oil, firstborn, all of that, 24. And if the way is too long for you, this is important. This is the first time the tithe is going to talk about money at all in the Bible. The money has only been grain and wine and oil and and, uh, animals from your flock. And if the way is too long for you to that place where you're going to have the meal with the Levite, right? If the way is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe when the Lord your God blesses you because the place is too far from you, all right, then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses. Okay, so here's what he says. If the journey's too far, you can actually convert, basically sell what you were going to bring. You sell it for money. And then you take that money with you. Here's what happens next. And spend the money for whatever you desire. Oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink. I love that. Strong drink, right? Whatever you want, whatever your appetite craves, the ESV says. And you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice you and your household. And you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance without you. So the only time the tithe has talked about money so far, we're in Deuteronomy, and he says, okay, if you need to, you can convert this to money, but you don't just go take it to the temple and drop it in. No, 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 no. What you're going to do, you're going to convert it to money, and then you're going to go to the place where you and your family are going to rejoice and have this meal and have this party with the Levite as a reminder that what you tithe all the other times is for the Levite. So here, take that money, but when you get to the place, party it up. Buy what you want. Buy everything with that money that you can because that was your best, right? Buy it, the strong drink, whatever your appetite desires, and you rejoice, you and your family, and don't neglect Do you the Levite. This version of that scripture because that doesn't say strong. No. The, well, the, the scriptures doesn't have a Baptist version. You know, there's a, there's, there's a lot of wine in there. Is that not cool, though? The first time it ever talks about money, it lets you convert it, but you're supposed to convert it back to grain and crops and food and drink. And it's a celebration, but it's a celebration that's a reminder that if I don't give this, here's who goes without. But it's also, if if that's my tithe that I'm going to take, it's for me to go and partake in with a Levite. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-huh. Like it's not just for me to go say, here's your here's your uh, tithe, Mr. Levite. This is me going and partying it up with the Levite, and that's yeah, and like, and know it. Well, it's a reminder to know that that's where that's where my tithe goes. Well, because if we don't, it becomes legalistic. Every, man, I always have to take this tenth and my best, and 
becoming legalistic? No, it's not because you're 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 literally caring for your brother. But that's not ten percent. That tithe right there no. isn't necessarily ten percent. It's not because you're not going to spend ten percent of your yearly, uh, let's say, increase or uh, yearly harvest on one meal with one person. You're not. With one person's feeling. You're not. And some people, some theologians actually think that this was more than just for that meal, but it was also where you gave an extra tithe toward the feast and festivals. All of the religious feasts and festivals, because, man, the, the Jews, the Israelites partied up in those feasts and festivals. They spared no expense, you see in Scripture. Um, but whichever it is, however you understand that, it was connected to the Levite, it was relational, and Buck, you hit the nail on the head. This is going to mess with some people's theology. We've already seen there are two separate tithes. There are two separate tithes. So when we talk about the tithe, when people talk about me about the tithe is 10%, I always go, which one? <laughs> and I literally had somebody on Instagram the other day, they go, I don't know where you're getting your information from. I said, the Bible and church history, where are you getting yours from? Right? They get mad about it. But before we can agree on anything with the tithe, we have to say, which tithe? The Bible talks about more than one tithe. <laughs> more than one tithe and this is really gonna mess with people when you think about it this tithe used even when you convert it to money you have to spend the money back because it's not about money and then you eat it so people want to be you know people will talk to me sometimes and I, and you, you gotta be careful when you say i want to do biblical anything if you don't really know what the bible says about it oh you get a tithe because it's biblical okay then let's sit down and rejoice with a strong drink and have a party right and invite our town Levite. Oh, wait, there's no town Levite? All right, well, let's still have the party. But here's the deal. Scripture says you have to eat your tithe. So if you're tithing money too, eat it. Right now. It'll probably... I'll just say, um, if anybody's struggling to find their time for town Levite, I'll... You'll drink the strong drink. I'll drink the... Well, and I'll eat it up. Yeah, you have. But does that make sense? Yeah. Like our entire understanding of the tithe has to shift because none of that has to do with money. And again, that tithe filled their bellies. God said, whatever your appetite desires, spare no expense. All right. So Deuteronomy 14, a little farther back. And again, I know that these scriptures are a little boring. That's why we don't read them a ton. The Mosaic law is not the most exciting thing you'll ever read. But if we're going to talk about tithing, we have to understand what the Bible says about it, right? And so Deuteronomy 14, 27 through 29 and you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance without you. That's how it starts, and it's about to take a turn. Why does the law keep saying that? Because it's a constant reminder that all of these tithes so far, both the first tithe, which is 10% of all of your increase, and the tithe where you take your best and have the meal, both of them are a reminder tithing is for someone. It is for the Levite every step of the way because they have no portion without you. Verse 28, at the end of every three years, three years, okay? At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance without you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work your hands do. So let's just stop. Let's pause. This is the third tithe that the Mosaic Law has talked about. It's the third tithe. The third tithe is once every three years. Not every year, but once every three years, you tithe another 10%, the best of your grain, the best of your herds, and you bring it out in the middle of the town. And not only the Levites, 
But this is called the poor tithe, because it's the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, they come and get all that they need to fill the gaps. And then God blesses you because you're going to reap what you sow, right? Mm -hmm. That's a third tithe. Now, we don't talk about a biblical tithe in the evangelical church where once every three years you bring a special offering and you put it all out there and you go, hey, guys, none of this goes to the church, but take what you need. Take what you need. We don't do a reverse tithe where we go, you know what, today, um, today we're going to pass the plate and then we're going to pass it again. And the second, the first pass you put in what God's calling you to put in. And the second pass, you take what you need. If you got a bill and you can't afford it, take it. If you're struggling with groceries because of inflation, take it. Your kid has a medical bill, take it. We don't do that. That was a separate tithe. So when you add all of these tithes together, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, we're already over 20%, although it's not the same every year, but we're over 20%. We're going to be between 20 and 30% depending on the year, right? So the tithe is not 10%. The tithes are between 23 and 30%. And none of us, because we're not Hebrew scholars, really know. Even Jews aren't really sure exactly what that came out to be. And it's always agricultural and it always fits the needs of people, whether it's the Levite. It's the Levite and two of the tithes so far. And then it's the poor, the fatherless, the widows. It's widows, orphans, and the poor. That's called the poor tithe, right? Not only did they do it every three years, but every seventh year was the year of Jubilee, right? where all your debts were forgiven. All of your debts were forgiven, right? People were able to take from the land freely. So if we're going to do biblical tithe, let's, and we're going to do, because it's still the law, let's do all the other biblical things around it. Let's every seven year do a year of Jubilee and pay off people's debts in the church. Let's every three years, let's do a tithe. Let's put all of the money in a big pile and celebrate. Let's do worship. Let's celebrate and go, hey, here's the big pile. We're going to stay until everybody's taking what they need. Because a lot of us gave and we don't have need. But if you're a widow or you're an orphan or you're struggling, take what you need. And we're going to party it up and we're going to clap and we're going to love it. Because every time somebody takes something from the pile, that's one of God's kids being taken care of. Hey, you're here and you're not even sure you believe in Jesus yet. But we want you to know we gave this for you because the Lord sees your need. And if you got a need, go take it out of the pile. How freaking cool would that, that would be? be amazing. I think it would uh, circle right back to what we were talking about before we even got into the difficult side of this, right? But here we are through Deuteronomy 14. We have got, again, let's just stop and talk about this. Three tides. Not all of them are 10%. Not all of them happen every year. And every one of them goes to someone. None of those tithes went to the priest specifically or the temple tabernacle specifically. When the tithe was given, the only thing that was given to like Temple Tabernacle and the ministry was their tenth they took out of it. Right. I'm taking, because we think about, you know, so much time when you think about the law, you think about the strictness of the law. Right here in the law, talking about tithe, I am just moved by the compassion <laughs> of the Lord. Gap yeah. for the poor yeah. and for the widows and orphans and for those that didn't have an inheritance. What? So when, because it continues to repeat for those that don't have an inheritance, which it identifies those as Levites. That's right. But it's, but then it adds in because they don't have an inheritance. And so they have no portion without you. Yeah, they're dependent on the people. Is that not a picture of the body of Christ? That's a church type picture that we find in the law. They are dependent on God's people. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm just moved 
by the compassion of the law, which that's not what something you think, but I'm moved by the compassion of the tithe in the law. And that's so antithetical uh-huh. to the way that the biblical, or not the biblical, but the modern day um, well, organizational tithe is. You had talking, so could we pause right there? I think that's important. I was going to ask y'all if y'all saw it this way. I made it this far about six months ago in my study and said there is nothing biblical so far about the modern-day church tithe. That practice does not match Scripture so far. I don't know if it will as I'm studying through it, right? But so far it does not because it was always grain and animals. It was never money. It never went to the church unless it was the tenth of the tenth that the Levites gave. It was always for someone doing ministry, right? And it wasn't always a tenth, and some of them didn't happen every year. And there was a lot of moving pieces here, but there was always that compassion. So Deuteronomy 26, it continues. Deuteronomy 26, 12 through 13. When you have finished paying all the tithe of your produce in the third year, this tithe we just talked about, which is the uh, year of tithing, give it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, so that they may eat within your towns and be filled. Then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed a sacred portion out of my house, and moreover, I have given it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, according to your commandment that you have commanded me. This was a commandment, okay? I have not transgressed any of your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. Here's the key. I have not eaten of the tithe while I was mourning, or removed any of it while I was unclean, or offered any of it to the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God, I have done all according to what you have commanded me, which means that if he had given it while mourning, it was against the command because the tithe's supposed to be joyful. He had to literally go and pray. You had to go and pray, God, I didn't give it while I was mourning and, and I didn't remove any of it while I was while I was unclean and I didn't do any of this right. Why? Because he had to say, I tithed when my heart was right before you. I tithed joyfully, cheerfully. The law was to show us a shadow of what was to come. And in Jesus, because of the change we had through the Holy Spirit, we give cheerfully without being told you have to give cheerfully. They weren't allowed to give while they were boarding. Listen to this last part. This is the last part. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven. By the way, I love that prayer. Father, look down for your holy habitation in heaven and bless your people, Israel, and the ground you have given us as you swore to your fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. The end of this prayer about the tithe and bless your people, Israel, and the ground you have given them. This tithe, specifically for a Levite, but it was reminded this tithe, this commandment, the way we do it, it was given to who? Israel. That commandment, let's be very clear here, was not given outside of Israel. It was given to Israel. Are any of us around this table Israelites? No. No. We're Gentiles. And as cool as that is, it's not given to us. Also, if we tried to do it, there are no Levites that can be traced today. Jews who want to be like Orthodox Jews who want to follow the law, they still actually set aside a tenth of all the crops, right? They set aside a tenth of the tithe, but they never give it. They set it aside every year as practice, but they don't give it because there are no Levites that can trace their lineage today.
and there is no temple. So what we've learned is there's three separate ties. They're not all 10%. It's all produce and grain and animals. It's all tied to people. It's never been money. And when it even it gets exchanged to money, it has to get exchanged back. And let's be real clear, all of this for Israel, not for Gentiles. Okay. Now we don't see another mention of tithing because the Mosaic law is ending. That's it. The entire Mosaic law, that's tithing. That is not a lot of verses. Probably felt like it as people were listening to it, but it's not a lot of verses. We don't see tithing again until Chronicles. All right, guys, that's it for this week's episode on the truth about tithing. We're going to pick up next week in episode two, right where we left off as we finish looking at what the Bible, specifically the New Testament, says about tithing. We're going to actually show you the mistakes we made, the misunderstandings that the modern church has about tithing and where that came from. Because we're not just looking at what the Bible says about tithing, we're going to look at tithing throughout church history, as well as we're going to hear from modern pastors and anonymous surveys to hear what they say about tithing too. And most of all, we're actually going to talk about and show you what New Testament generosity should look like. And here's what I can promise. No matter what you believe about tithing, you are going to be surprised when you find out what the Bible says about tithing, what church history says about tithing, and what pastors say about tithing. So no matter who you are, where you come from, what your background is, you don't want to miss next episode because you're going to be surprised. And most of all, I think you're going to be blessed. I think this brings a ton of freedom. But that's it for today. We'll see you right here next week for part two of The Truth About Tithing.